0: The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: The following program contains important but graphic material. These topics are designed to foster discussion but may be objectionable to some. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Exploited! Crimes Against Humanity. This program is a training program on human trafficking, sextortion, social media exploitation, and child pornography based on actual cases. Our mission is to eradicate human exploitation and bring predators to justice. Now, here is the host of the program, Opal Singleton. Well, hello and welcome to Exploited,
2: Crimes Against Humanity. Well, I've been doing a lot of show prep for this show today. My name is Opal Singleton. I am your host. And we usually have Susie Carpenter on with us today. She is off on another assignment, so I already miss her. And we're really, really grateful for the work that she does. Susie runs our social media website, that is Million Kids, on Facebook. That is spelt M-I-L-L, spelled, not spelt. Spelled. Anyway, M I L L I O N, million kids. It's not one million kids, it's not a million kids, just simply million kids. One of the things that we would really encourage you to do is follow us on Facebook. Now, this show has call-in capability. Many, many of our listeners are around the world and on other time zones here in the U.S., so we don't get a lot of call-ins, but if you want to call in, I'd be glad to chat with you. Sitting here all by myself today, we could use your input. That number is 1-866-472-5788. Let me give you that again. It's 1-866-472-5788. And I'd really like to know who you are and where you're from and what is going on in your community and what, if anything, you're doing about that. So if you want to email me, my email is opal, O-P-A-L, at millionkids.org, opal at millionkids.org, or go on Facebook and make a comment or send off to us that way. You can do that also. Or you can go to info. At me and kids.org So there's lots of ways to reach us. I've done a lot of research for this morning's show because uh, it's heavy on my heart. And I just really want to share this with you folks. I, I assume that if you're listening to this podcast, you know something about human trafficking and you want to do something about it. Now, you may be a beginner and uh, or you may be someone even more advanced and sophisticated than, than I am. But what I want to do is kind of back up a little bit today and take you just out of the world of victims and try to look at the big picture of the challenges of making a case, a legal case, and getting a court a case through court in uh, especially sex trafficking. I'm not going to focus much on labor trafficking today. We're just really going to talk about sex trafficking. I want to do this because there is a lot of activity right now. You probably, especially you folks across America, have heard uh, that there is a new law here in California called SB 1322, and all of the headlines all across the United States are saying things like, um, you know, that California has legalized prostitution. Uh, that we've legalized child prostitution, if you will. And, of course, there is no such thing as child prostitution in California because our law says that if you're under 18 and you're engaged in commercial sexual exploitation, then you are a victim. You are not a child prostitute. There is no such thing, even with the new law. And the other thing, that the reason I wanted to address this is that those people who follow us on on Facebook, and there's about 7,000 of you, and by the way, let me just say how much Susie and I especially appreciate you. It isn't just Susie and I, by the way. There are other volunteers throughout Southern California for me and kids that go out and make speeches or do research with me. I really appreciate people who are willing to do research. I do massive amounts of research myself. And, um, and I just need a lot more people that have that kind of geeky mindset that, that uh, like to delve in. You know, Maybe they're not so good at, at doing those big outlandish public events, but they want to get to the facts and build cases in an organized manner so we can talk about facts. I appreciate you. Well, I want to look at a case in the, in the big picture, if you will. To get a case, to have a legal case of trafficking, of course, you need the victim. Uh, and that can be a minor, can be an adult, it can be a male, a female, um, can be transgender. Uh, it, can, it can take on many variations. It can be a victim that is just in one location for instance, right here in Southern California, it can be within the Riverside County, it can be in multiple counties, it can cover a victim that can cover jurisdictions up into um, our recent case. They went from right here in Merino Valley, here in Southern California, over to LA, where I live, is about for you folks that are in Italy and Germany and, and, um, some of those areas over there, and there are a lot of you, and we appreciate you, but I live in Southern California, about 70 miles outside of L.A., so we'll have a case here where the girls taken to L.A., and then the the case that we had just last week which was a horrific case and an absolute shout out to the Riverside County Anti-Human Trafficking Task Force because that took lots of hours to build that case these these perpetrators were just horrific and they took these girls they branded them with tattoos the word classified right down the side of their face forever forever this were classified down the side of their face, one of them across their forehead. They took them from our community over to L.A. and then up to Alaska, uh, up to Anchorage, and then over to Minnesota. So victims, they don't, they don't all look the same. Some of them are 15, 16, and some of them were adults. So we need a victim. We need a crime, meaning, you know, something that fits within the penal code. And that crime must have evidence in order to be able to make a case. You know, one of the reasons I wanted this show today and this topic is, invariably, we get people who read our Facebook page and they go, he only got four years. What is wrong with law enforcement? What is wrong with the judge? Well, I really want to unpack that today. There's nothing wrong with law enforcement. There's nothing wrong with the judge. When you have a case, you have a crime, it fits within a penal code and you have to have evidence to be able to get that crime through court and make it into a prosecutable case. And that is what this show is about today and how hard that is. You need a perpetrator. This is a pimp. It can be an individual pimp. It can be um, a gang member. It can be gang members which makes that case infinitely more difficult in there because that gang can be in my county in LA and in Anchorage you heard me say this last summer I worked with uh, the folks up there in uh, Alaska at Priceless they were an amazing group that's the name of their organization and I was able to train some of the Alaska state troopers they have the same gangs in Alaska that we have here and so think about the challenge of that in making a case, or what happens if it's a foreign government that this case is taking place in. So you have a victim, a crime, and a perpetrator. Then you have law enforcement that's trying to pursue that. Now this is, i as most of you know, I work with Riverside County Sheriff's Department with the Anti-Human Trafficking Task Force, and they really, really are amazing people. But think of their challenges. They have to go out and get that criminal and rescue that victim and do it in a way that they're able to gather evidence that will get that case into court. And that is becoming more and more difficult. One of the challenges of this is there's very little money right now for law enforcement. I'm just kind of amazed about that in California. And if you're in another state, think about this, because you know it's very easy for all of us to rush up and get some politician to make a uh, new law. But how do we actually implement that law? And what impact does that have on law enforcement being able to make a case and who is allocating a budget. You see, one of the things that's going on in California is the victims are getting a lot of attention. And I'm not against that. Trust me, that is not a criticism in any way, you know right when i started here in southern california there were only 3 agencies that i know of maybe 4 now there are 93 anti human trafficking tests or excuse me 93 anti human trafficking companies and they're out raising money getting awareness pushing legislation and and they're getting government grants but there is almost no money for law enforcement if we don't get money for law enforcement then there aren't gonna be any victims for people to treat. In my case, my county literally is 7,200 square miles. If we have a case out in Blythe, it literally takes three hours to drive out there, and there is no money right now for law enforcement to get overtime. So if it takes three hours to drive out and three hours to drive back, that gives us two hours to get that guy, that gang member, rescue that victim, gather up the evidence, and get it back home so we can make a case. Are you starting to see some of the challenges now? Well, I am being told by our sound engineer, our producer, that I am up against a break here, and I'm going to have to slow down and let you guys take a break. And if you'll stay with me, we're going to be back in a couple of minutes, and we're going to take this on in depth. We'll see you in a second.
1: Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Seduced, the grooming of America's teenagers is the most important book a parent will read this year. Human trafficking is one of the fastest-growing crimes in America. Three out of four victims are U.S. citizens. Most are our young people who have been lured into prostitution by a boyfriend or girlfriend or hook up with a newfound love on the Internet. Sometimes they are victims of blackmail as a result of sending a revealing photo. Sometimes it's catastrophic. Opal Singleton, president of Million Kids, has written a powerful book for parents, educators, civic leaders, and first responders about how predators use social media, apps, You are listening to Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. If you have a question or comment, please send an email to opal at millionkids.org. That's O-P-A-L at millionkids.org. Now, back to Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Here again is Opal Singleton.
2: Well, hello and welcome back. Thanks for staying with us after the break. We are deep into a discussion here of the challenges, the real-life experience of trying to make cases for sex trafficking cases. And we are looking at it from the perspective of law enforcement, because I just don't believe there's enough of that out there. So to make a case, we need a victim, can be minor adult, we need a crime, that means there must be something that violates a penal code, and and that there's evidence of that. We need a perpetrator, that is, and that can be a gang, a cartel, it can even be another girl. And it can. And in this case, one of the complications is can be another girl who started as a victim and was promoted to bottom girl and she is now doing the recruiting. So she's both victim and perpetrator. We need law enforcement. And there are many challenges here with law enforcement because many of these cases are very complex and they're multi-jurisdictional. Our local task force right now has between 180 and 200 cases, and they have seven guys. Gee, I don't know what that math is, seven into, say, 200. I ought to be able to figure that out. But that's like, uh, you know, some huge number of cases apiece. And these cases are very, very complex. Now, these are hardcore sex trafficking cases. These are not like, you know, somebody was, you know, sent a naked photo and somebody's trying to blackmail them. You know, these are adults and minors who are into forced sex work, forced sexual exploitation. And then, of course, you need the legal system, the legislative system that gets the laws and the legal capacity to get this case through court. So I want to address some of these issues on there because one of the things that makes this difficult for law enforcement is it's often multi-jurisdictional. Uh, in other words, they'll see only a piece of the crime. They may have some gang that's got two or three girls here in, let's say, where I'm at in Southern California, and then all of a sudden you're going to find out that this is a ring, and they're also working in L.A., maybe Oakland, uh, maybe Portland, maybe Seattle, maybe Las Vegas, maybe Dallas. And so you're only seeing a piece of it. And then you have the FBI and Homeland Security, and they each kind of have a different kind of focus on there. And they have the challenge of getting funding and having enough resources. One of the things that's making this very difficult is that much of this crime now takes place both in the world online and also in reality, in real life. Think about the challenge of that, because in real life, you have a real-life victim. And this victim, you know, she's probably being threatened. She's shame-based in that she has been groomed and absolutely humiliated. And so she's pretty convinced that nobody is going to believe her anyway. And she has no freedom of decision. She's often drugged. And she's often very young. But even if she's, let's say, 24, 25, By that time, they've been so heavily violated, so drugged, so traded back and forth, so humiliated that they're convinced that law enforcement isn't going to believe them anyway. Now, some of the younger ones, especially and even some of the older ones, are still in love with their perpetrator. So when they get beat really bad or hurt, tortured in many ways, and it is torture, some of this stuff they'll reach out and maybe begin to be a victim begin to allow someone to talk to them and give them services but they will go right back either out of fear out of humiliation out of false hope that next time they'll blame themselves they'll only and you can count on the fact they're going to lie to you as law enforcement Uh, you know uh, law enforcement is taught on these cases right off the bat. You need to be able to prosecute or process this case as if you're never going to see her again, because there's a very good chance she will be in the wind and off and running, and that she's going to lie on there, and that she doesn't even have the capacity to recall what has happened in many of these cases. Many of these people will destroy their own evidence. They're going back and forth, and that the the shame-based thinking will immediately go in and start deleting the photographs, maybe in their phone, or something that's done on on Backpage. Another one of the challenges is you need to be able to keep her out of the life in order to be able to get a long-term case. And since we're talking about the legal prosecution here, we're going to talk a minute about what that means. If you have a local case, one of the big questions that we always get or you know, why only four years? Why only seven years? That guy ought to have life. Well, think about this. You have a case. Let's say you have a case, and in most of these cases, there is some sort of federal um, qualifying evidence. In other words, in order to be able to go on a federal basis— what will happen is that you need to be able to have something that crosses state lines. Now, up until recently, up until SB 1322 and some of those others, for those of you who don't know California law, the SB 1322 law just went into effect, and it's extremely controversial. So this would mean that we would have to, if we're going to take a case through the uh, state court, we're going to be subject to California law, and SB 1322 is a California law. So what that law basically says, and this is a law that's very controversial because it's being interpreted in ways that the people who that rallied around with the legislators and put it in never expected. In essence, it bars law enforcement from arresting sex workers who are under the age of 18 for soliciting or engaging in prostitution or loitering. I can't say that word. Lorting. Loitering. L-O-I-T-E-R, I-N-G. That means hanging around, okay, with the intent to do so. So here's what's happened with that law. What the what the people who put the law in meant, absolutely meant for good. I am not here to put them down in any way. But this is totally gone off the wheels we've lost the wheels on this card they are in to treat the victim the um, the person as a victim if they're under 18 and put them into a safe environment however you can't detain them now I'm going to tell you that most victims that we deal with when they're 18 They're not grateful to be brought in. First of all, that pimp is sitting out on the curb waiting for her to get out of that safe house. And he will send a bottom girl in there to tell her. So the intent was that we don't arrest these girls. Now, quite frankly, most of your task forces either already had some laws. In our case, we had SB 35. Excuse me. We have Proposition 35, and our task force here in Riverside, and I know the task forces in LA and Orange County, San Bernardino area, Long Beach, they, uh, Los Angeles, they had not been arresting minors for a long time. If there's any way they can avoid it, excuse me. I'm recovering from that same cold from last week, but I'm getting better. Anyway. So they hadn't been taking these kids in on crime in the first place. In fact, this is one of the few crimes that we work with where literally you have a nonprofit organization which is a victim service provider. All your BGA grants, all your federal grants require that you have a victim service provider, and they have you have one who's contracted with the Sheriff Department or with your local law enforcement. And in our case, it's Operation Safe House out here in Riverside County. I'll give them a shout out. They're really, in my opinion, about the best in the nation. They really are good at what they do. And they're, they're reasonably well-funded. They never have enough money, but they really are in pretty good shape. They have some great supporters who provide excellent services. But this means that you have a nonprofit working with law enforcement, and I can tell you they have different mindsets. So as you get this deal together with SB 1322, the way that it's worked out is that they literally uh, are treated as victims, and so we can't detain them. Now, I want you to look at this from a law enforcement point of view, not a social services point of view. All of a sudden now, we ha- our hands are tied. Nobody meant for this to happen, but it went completely the other way. We can't bring them in and keep them if they don't want to stay. I really wish this law had been that we can bring them in and that we can keep them and we can charge them. But if they, keep, if they complete a 14-day or maybe a 28-day rehab program, then the charge is dropped. And we treat it kind of like a drug offense or something like that. I wish it had happened that way because then we can bring her in. And actually be able, first of all, to access her phone. Think about this now. With SB 1322, we can't detain her. She's free to go, and we can't look at her phone. We can't even get a search warrant because there's no charge on there. That phone is the thing that usually tells us who her pimp is or pimps in multiple cases, what gang she's being sold through, what town she's being moved around in, so that if she goes back to the life, then we can begin to find her. We can't do that now because of SB 1322. We can't find where she's being coerced or threatened or uh, where he's put her in the hospital somewhere or where he's aligned her with other girls in the ring. We can't get that information anymore because— Of 1322 we can't detain her therefore we can't get a search warrant so that law where meant for good is really starting to be a challenge so that's if you're charging her on a state charge now part of the reasons we say to ourselves do we go state or federal if you go state you can get a shorter sentence, but there is a much like more likelihood until all these laws kicked in that we can actually at least get some charge. It wouldn't be as long as a federal charge, but it's a charge that we can get and get a little bit uh, taking a less time to put the case together. Why is that so important? Well, if I can get a, if they can get a girl to court or a guy to court, and let's say eight months, nine months, we have a better chance of keeping her out of the life and keeping her in the area. We automatically know when we're taking on one of these cases that she's probably going to run, that she's going to take off. So how do you make a case if you don't have a victim or you have a victim who has decided to return to the life and has maybe been picked up again in another county, in another area? So you have this challenge of keeping her and keeping her out of the life and, and keeping it in a way that you can get local evidence. So when possible, we have always wanted to go to state. Now, I will tell you, you get a longer sentence with a federal crime. However, it takes longer to put those cases together in those cases because it takes a much higher threshold to show the evidence. And that means she has to stay out of the life. Many of those federal cases will take a year and a half to three years to get through the federal court. Now, you're going to get a longer time, but that means keeping her out of the life and a higher level of evidence. And some of that evidence has to cross state lines. Now, if there's a condom involved, usually we can use that to show crossing state lines because all condoms are made out of, um, the, out of uh, Asia. The other thing is if the Internet's involved, that usually is lack of jurisdiction on there, and that will give us something. But that means that we really have to put together a large case. We just had a case where we subpoenaed Facebook, and there were 50,000 pages of evidence, 50,000. Now, if you have 180 cases and you're processing one case that is multiple victims and 50,000 pages of evidence, How do you ever prepare that case to get it through court? Are you starting to get the hang of what I'm saying here, folks? Hey, we're up against a break. And so stay with us. We need to turn this over to our sponsors, and we will be right back.
1: stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com seduced the grooming of america's teenagers is the most important book a parent will read this year Human trafficking is one of the fastest-growing crimes in America. Three out of four victims are U.S. citizens. Most are our young people who have been lured into prostitution by a boyfriend or girlfriend or hook up with a newfound love on the Internet. Sometimes they are victims of blackmail as a result of sending a revealing photo. Sometimes it's catastrophic. You are listening to Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. If you have a question or comment, please send an email to opal at millionkids.org. That's O-P-A-L at millionkids.org. Now, back to Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Here again is Opal Singleton.
2: Well, hello and welcome back. We are talking about how to make a case in court and how to get a better sentence this is Opal Singleton. I am your host. This is Exploited Crimes Against Humanity. We come to you from Million Kids because more than a million kids are trafficked each year. So you can follow us on Facebook at meandkids.org. By the way, all of these shows are archived. You can see it through meandkids.org, or we have our very own website just for this show. It is called exploitedcrimes.com. And I'd encourage you to go to exploitedcrimes.com. And, in fact, I don't know if you know this, but you can actually get an embed code from us for absolutely free. It's not difficult at all get a just email me and say hey I want an embed code and what you can do then is post this show on your website and offer it out as a free resource As you can tell, I'm not much of a fundraiser, so I'm not going to detract from your money. Okay, If you're a church or a nonprofit and you want to use this show to educate others, you are welcome to do that. My goal, my passion, quite frankly, I'm never going to be a major nonprofit like World Vision or somebody. That's not my goal. My goal is to educate the world about the realities of this, the real-life truth of this, the hardcore facts, so that we understand and conclude up with practical solutions to combat that and i'm talking about sex trafficking sextortion sex child pornography a social media exploitation as you know i go out and i make presentations to the public all over i usually i often go throughout the united states i'm staying close to home right now because i have some challenges health challenges in my household but uh I want to educate the public for free about this. If you get an embed code, then you can have access to all the archived shows of exploited crimes. I think there's like over 30 hours of them now. I think we're starting uh, the third episode. But if you want to just educate yourself, go to exploitedcrimes.com and go to listen, the little tab, listen, and go down there, and you'll start to see all the previous shows. And they're on iTunes. You can put them on your iPod, iP- i iPad, uh, and you can listen to them in the background while you're baking muffins, okay? <laughs> I haven't baked muffins for a long time. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Maybe I need to get back to that. Okay, we're, we're talking about why it's so darn difficult, and I want you to look at it from a different perspective as if you're a cop, as if you're law enforcement trying to make a case. So you have the challenge of keeping the victim safe and out of the life. Now, most of these victims, you can put them in a safe house, and, the, and I am here to tell you there's some very fine safe houses, but most of those people don't stay in a safe house for a long period of time, and they end up going back out into the, into the life, and that makes it difficult. Some of the other challenges in making these cases, other than the fact that they're multi-jurisdictional, meaning they are traveling about most of your sex trafficking cases, they move these kids from place to place to place. And by the way, they know that they they know exactly what they're doing. I mean, I live in Southern California and we live right off the 10 freeway. Those guys go back and forth across the 10 freeway because one side's Riverside, one side's San Bernardino County. And they'll whip back and forth knowing that they are challenging law enforcement in it. And that's exactly what it's about. By the way, I'll just do a little side trip on you. Um, we talk about this when I talk about social media marketing, or excuse me, social media cases. One of the things they do is after they meet the kid, maybe they meet on an instant messaging app like Kick or Instagram is... Hey, let's, uh, let's do a Facebook or let's uh, go over to uh, uh, sharing a YouTube or those kinds of things. Uh, let's do some Snapchat. Number one, they're doing that because they're trying to find out if the person on the other end that they're trying to groom is a law enforcement. And two is they want to see if the kid will follow them from place to place. You see, that takes away that victim's control. They did, That's the other reason they take these kids uh, and adults and they'll move them from county to county to county and put them in hotels and move them around. You lose control. You don't know where you're at. And especially if you're from a foreign country and you don't speak the language, you don't know where you're at, you don't know what you're doing. And even if you're from, let's say, Southern California, they'll immediately take you to another area so that they have all that control. One of the things that's happening, I'm about to talk about some of the challenges of the new technology and making a case, but one of the things that's starting to happen is they have live streaming within a video game. Let me, let me slow down, folks. Do you realize what I just said? That's live streaming within a video game. We, uh, I'm still trying to get that video inside my PowerPoint so you can see this. This guy, uh, a couple weeks ago, we had this, this on our website. Uh, he had a 12-year-old son, and he's in the other room doing something. The son is playing on a video game in the living room. And uh, he heard a guy talking to his kid. And so he went around the corner, and there's this guy adult male live streaming to his son standing there masturbating and his 12 year old son is masturbating back. Wow. The father went ballistic as he should have. He unplugs everything. And like that, when he goes through the kid's um, electronics, as technology, he sees this isn't the kid's first rodeo. He's been masturbating with other people. But let me think about that technology with you. See, this is what I want you to understand when you follow us. Don't just read these cases and go, oh, my gosh, how scary is that? Think about the impact. First of all, think about the impact on that kid. He's 12 years old. He's gone through puberty. And now he's meeting total strangers in his own living room on a video game his dad bought him using Bitcoins his dad provided him. So his first sexual experience has been a virtual experience, and his dad provided the avenue giving implied consent. And now we have perpetrators who are allowed to come into anybody's room, anybody's household, and interact with your child in your own living room. But think about what that means from the standpoint of the perpetrator. He can tell that that's not law enforcement, can't he? When he can get that 12-year-old boy to stand there and masturbate back to him, he doesn't see law enforcement anywhere, and he says, I am good to go. We can take this boy, and we will begin to move him from from place to place. Now, that's live streaming. Unless it's videotaped, it's it's not saved. So I'm back to law enforcement. How are we going to make a case on that? Dad saw it. But there's no record. Now, quite frankly, there are footprints in technology, but it's getting harder and harder and harder for law enforcement to make these cases because of technology, because when you have live streaming, you might be able to tell, but you may not be able to rebuild what they live stream. You may be able to tell how they got from point A to point B and how they connected, but you may not be able to rebuild it. Instagram recently, by the way, Instagram is owned by Facebook, and Instagram introduced encrypted messaging, and now they have encrypted chat rooms. In fact, I'm putting together a significant presentation on the new technologies specifically for law enforcement and corporations to take a look at and also for school uh, administrators to take a look at this new technology and how it's going to change crime. Because uh, I find it interesting. Instagram is owned by, uh, by Facebook. I believe WhatsApp is also owned by Facebook. And Facebook opened up a legitimate site in the dark web. And then they added their own Facebook Live, live streaming. And then they added encrypted messaging through Instagram. And now we have encrypted chat rooms. Now, as a parent, that's going to make your life more difficult because all you're going to see that he's talking from point A or she's talking from point A to point B, but you may not be able to make out what they're saying. So now what we have is, first of all, SB 1322 says we can't detain the child, which means we can't get a search warrant for their phone. And now we're going to add layers of technology that's going to make this difficult. Well, it got even a little more complicated because up until about a year ago, actually about six months ago, much of your activity that we were using for making cases was taking place on Backpage. That, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, that's BACK, B A C K P A G E. Backpage is the most well known site in the world. It's a worldwide phenomenon. It looks exactly like Craigslist, and that is where they advertise for commercial sex acts. Now, quite frankly, there are absolutely thousands of these sites and many of them are very pornographic by the way i don't know if you know this but there are john review sites just disgusting i try to avoid not going on them once in a while you have to but i try not to a john review site is disgusting they it literally is like yelp for commercial sex you know yes she was good yes she showed up no she wasn't great she was drugged she was this she was that they evaluate these people I just tell you that because that's part of making a case is trying to find where she has been either marketed or reviewed anywhere to build your case. But what happened to Backpage is that all the activists got together and said, we're going to put these people out of business. Well, so far, they haven't succeeded. The minute they did that, Backpage just simply opened up two more sites offshore. So you're not going to get them out of business. Then they took away their Master Charge and Visa capability. I'm not defending Master Charge by any means, okay? Don't, I don't want anybody to misunderstand this. What I want you to see is how hard it is to make a case when all of these kinds of things are going on. So they took away their Master Charge Visa capability, believing they were going to put them out of business. No, all they did was now do everything in Bitcoin. And that's a piece of cake for our young kids because most kids have a Bitcoin account because of online gaming. That is cyber currency. Cyber currency is anonymous and non-traceable. So now, how do you get a case? Well, of course, you work with the victim and you establish evidence. Part of establishing evidence is tracking the money. (laughs) Can we make this any harder? Oh, dear, John. Tracking the money, but if you have a Bitcoin account, you're not able to track that money So that is a problem that is going on And now what has happened is that they had this big headline this week that said last week on USA Today As you know from last week's show Backpage has shut down the adult business No, they haven't They have simply moved it one inch up They took it from adult escorts to dating, And in fact, I think they have more ads than ever. And with SB 1322, what is about to happen here is all of the activity is going to take place with individuals who are under 18 because we cannot detain them. We cannot arrest them. So all your ads are going to be placed by people who are 17.5 years old using a Bitcoin account, which is very easy for a young person to get. And I believe that you're going to see most of all your activity ran by kids who are, are literally bottom girls. Victims who have been groomed into becoming, placing those ads, arranging the dates, and they are doing the, basically the quasi-pimping. They will be the front guy for that pimp. So all of this gnashing of teeth and changing of these laws, what has absolutely happened here is it has become infinitely more difficult to make a case. It's difficult to track the money. We can't get into our phone. The activity is going to take place with more and more minors. And now when we do get a subpoena for some of this technology, we are being handed literally documents that reach thirty to 50,000 pages, that we now have to be buried in paperwork instead of having boots on the ground out there watching that motel, chasing down that gang, gathering up that evidence, getting that search warrant, going in there rescuing that girl in order to be able to make a case, our guys and gals have become paper pushers. So it's a challenge. We're at a break. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
1: Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Crimes Against Humanity. Here again is Opal Singleton.
2: Well, hello and welcome back. This particular segment that we're talking about is how challenging it is to get a case through court. Many of these cases take 18 months to three years to get through court, especially if you go federally. The last two segments, we've talked about some of the new state laws that we've done. Here in California, they have good sides and bad sides, and the people who did those laws really meant well. I am no way trying to be critical of that. But the reality of what is happening on that is changing law enforcement activity completely, and I want to make you aware of it. One of the things, the reason I think that this is important for those of you who are outside of California and even in foreign countries is I just want you to understand, you know, California is the number one state for cases, and we often lead the nation in legislative activity because people want to stop this, and that's good. All of us are out there trying to find a solution, but I want to share this with you because as you're crafting laws in other states, it's real easy to get caught up in the moment and think, wow, we're going to take this on, we're going to nail those jerks, we're going to put them away. Be very, very careful because we have a very complex crime here, a crime that's multi generational, excuse me, multi jurisdictional, and it often involves adults which have a different law going for them than, than victims. We have a compromised victim that often doesn't show up. They may actually destroy their own evidence and and literally have no emotional boundaries, so they go back and forth, oftentimes compromising their own case, or they'll take off in the middle of a case and not be there to testify. There is just a world of challenges between working, first of all, with nonprofits, with legislative, and with crime, with law enforcement, and then trying to get a case through the US uh, justice system or a local state justice system. Now. I'm short of time here. I'm coming down to the end, but I didn't want want to escape talking about how hard it is to make a case without talking about uh, child pornography, because as most of you know, I'm a little bit different than many activists because I, I lump in child pornography into my sex trafficking and sex um, extortion cases. I uh, look at this because to me, it is all human exploitation. And so I have a, tendency to look at it. I'm not a victim service provider. I am all about research and education and training and staying on the cutting edge of technology. And uh, and so I see that, quite frankly, I believe that child pornography will have an intersect with uh, child sex trafficking in the way that you're about to see mass scale cyber sex on demand uh, situations this will be where both adults and children both men and women we've already seen many many cases of this i saw a case of a man been a year ago down in uh, florida he was from uh, bosnia or uh, czechoslovakia one of one of the one of the eastern european countries it's escapes in Croatia. I think he was from Croatia. Anyway, he was he got to Florida and they locked him in this warehouse and all day long he was forced to masturbate on camera for money. And he couldn't get free. And you're seeing now an entire new industry of that. You talk about difficulty in making a case. How do you find them when they're locked away? It's already a billion-dollar activity in the U.K., and I believe you're going to see that to become a whole new industry. So the, the activity and the going after those kinds of cases are similar to going after child pornography. So I want to address this. I'm, I don't know if I have time to get completely through this. I'm kind of running out of time. I'm really verbose this morning. Sorry. But basically what happened is the FBI took over a, a, uh, a child pornography website in the dark web called the Playpen, and they illegally ran that for, for several, I think, 13 days. Now, that, that has its own controversy, and we'll get back to that some other time. But what they did is they applied for a local warrant And then they sent something called a network investigative tool, a NIT, network investigative tool. If you think about injecting dye in your veins of your body and you can see where all the points go to with that dye, that's what a knit is. It basically told them in this case there were 215,000 pedophiles on there. They weren't able to identify them all that way. They they use other resources to do it. But they use the rule of 41 that's at stake here. And I just really want you uh, to understand how challenging it is to get child pornographers. Because basically that, that original warrant started in Quantico, Virginia, where, where FBI is, but their first uh, perpetrator, I think, turned out to be in Oklahoma, and he got off because they're saying, hold it, this warrant from Virginia doesn't cover Oklahoma. Now, what is about to happen here now is they've gone in and approached the Supreme Court and they've also gone in and gone through appeals court and they are changing the rule of 41 that says you can get one search warrant. And it can take you just about anywhere within the child pornography dark web world. Now, that that is a real thrill, too, when you think about how challenging that is, because they basically have given the FBI carte blanche to go through and start to go anywhere they want with one search warrant. And uh, that's kind of a challenge here, because if you start to think about that, you know, uh, I don't know if you want to give anybody that much authority because if you give our FBI don't you have to give it to the KGB if don't you have to give it to other people the internet is not a US thing so basically what you're doing is giving them a search warrant where they can go out and find any perpetrator and they don't have to keep going back in each individual one this is called the rule of 41 and there is some articles uh, that you probably should start to follow if you are a law student So what they're doing is increasingly they're relying more now on international collaboration in order to be able to combat it. You see, it's not easy because if you have a guy sitting in Milwaukee and he's got a girl on live streaming in the Philippines and he's directing her to be exploited by her exploiters, he is a pedophile by U.S., but in the Philippines, the age of consent for sex is 13. Or excuse, 12 years old. So at 13, she can consent. In fact, that's what started the law of 1322, SB 1322. It was based on the idea that prostitution is illegal in California. So if you can't consent to prostitution under the age of 18, how can you be in? victim of human, how can you be in human trafficking under the age of 18? So I hope that this has given you a lot to think about. I'm not here to pass judgment what I want you to do is think about the challenges for law enforcement. I hope you give your local law enforcement a hug today, okay? These are men and women who go out in the middle of the night doing the worst of the worst, going after the worst of the worst, and trying to gather up the evidence with a victim who often won't cooperate, won't stay for the for the trial, gets back into the life, and then dealing with all of these new laws, it is harder and harder to get a search warrant it is harder and harder to be able to access the, the information. Then when the information comes, it comes in 40,000-page increments, and you're boots on the ground, feet on the street, trying to save these kids. So let me thank you for joining us. We truly, truly appreciate you. Please follow us at millionkids.org or at Million Kids on Facebook. This is Hopeful Singleton with Million Kids, and we will see you next week.